Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. All right. Hey, welcome in. This is Cube Show, the college football podcast. We're taking an old radio show and we're turning it into a podcast because I just feel like we need college football content on Sunday. So as I get home from the game that I'm covering, I'm just going to try to quickly review the SEC Try not to tell you how important I am. Try not to say how many people tune in, where they tune in from, how many people I met. But I will try to take you back through the weekend of what me, Tom Hart, Jordan Rogers just did, some of our coaches' meetings, obviously the game that we covered, and then some of the film that I was able to blast through on Sunday. We may get down the road a little bit into more college football, but I just want to try to make this quick, easy, ball, fast consumption, in, out, so you can have an idea of what I saw when I watch the SEC football games from over the weekend. So we will start with where I was, College Station, Texas. Ole Miss comes to town against Texas A&M. Ole Miss coming off their first loss of the season. Obviously not a great showing against LSU. Texas A&M, kind of an ugly game against South Carolina the previous week where they go down 17-0 early after a 100-yard kickoff return, a fumble which led to a field goal, an interception which led to a touchdown. Boom, 17-0, williams Bryce was off the hook. The place was loud, loudest environment that I've been in this season, and it was completely bananas. Now, A&M battle back. Haynes King gets hurt. Connor Wigman comes in. Looks pretty good, a little bit late, even though prior not a shot he was going to get them back into that game. And we fast forward to them falling below 500, taking on an old Miss football team that we have now found their deficiencies. There was a question that I was asked during our game inside that South Carolina A&M game by Tom Hart, and he said, what do you think we're learning about LSU, specifically LSU's offense, with Jaden Daniels and what they've been able to do and kind of how they're progressing. And I do think LSU is improving, but I view LSU as more figuring things out than I do so much improving because I just think that they've had Brian Kelly and Coach Denbrock and Coach House. They just kind of had to move the pieces around, find the right guys in the right place. They shuffled that offensive line. Kayshawn Booty early in the season. Was he in? Was he out? What was he going to do? Did he want to be there? They kind of got that thing figured out. You get a running back back. You get some DBs back. Didn't really know what you were going to have in 40, being able to run around and make plays the way that he is. Now, he looks like he's going to be one of the stars on defense in the SEC in the near future. So they just kind of figured things out, in my opinion, as opposed to just gotten a lot better. They are a better team, but the talent was there. They just need to figure out how to use it and get the guys comfortable inside their system. With LSU or with Ole Miss, I think we just kind of figured out there are some warts on this football team. Pass protection was an issue. Uh, the defense being a little bit light, they just, they're not going to be able to handle teams that can come right at them. And that's what I thought AM was going to do early. I thought Texas AM would come out, try to play ground and pound, try to go right at this old Miss football team. And I'm going to have my charts out just so I have notes and stuff to talk to you guys about certain games that we've done and things that I remember and things that I want to share with you over the course of this podcast, because we're going to try again to make it quick, easy, get in, get out, talk football, and you can maybe be a little bit educated on everything that happened over the weekend. So 
I thought sort of Max Wright, maybe some Donovan Green. You would see big formations, big personnel, Texas A&M go right at this Ole Miss defense because they showed, LSU did, that when you try to go right at them, they're susceptible to that and might not be able to stop it. And keep in mind, too, that Ole Miss defense was banged up. Troy Brown's been out. Cedric Johnson's been out. A.J. Finley's been out. They've been, I mean, I have a lot of guys that have been nicked up, banged up, hadn't necessarily been healthy over the course of the season, especially the last few weeks. I thought that would be the plan of attack. It looked like that was going to be the plan early. And AM comes out, has some success running the football. They don't ask too much of Connor Wigman early. But then I don't know exactly where, where this sort of metamorphosis changed or what happened or how it came to place. Because I think it's really easy to sit back and say, oh, well, Texas AM just gave up on the run. They don't want to run the football anymore, and Jimbo started calling pass plays. But keep in mind, there are RPOs in that offense, and a lot of the passes that Connor Wigman hit, as you saw, he would put the belly in the ball in the back, and then, boom, hit a pass play down the field. So that's his decision on those RPOs. Don't mistake that it's just Jimbo calling a bunch of pass plays. So you still have a young football team. You're young at center. You got a couple freshman offensive linemen, freshman tight end, freshman receivers, plural. You got freshman defensive linemen, freshman corners. There's freshmen all over the place making plays for that AM team yesterday. That should get you excited about the future. But I understand people know what's taking place and they know about this recruiting class and we all want it now. Well, this team doesn't have the leadership. I don't think this team understands how to self-police itself. This team has distractions both from the media about the head coach and the buyout. All of a sudden, guys are getting suspended. You're having some other guys get in trouble in different ways. And the next thing you know, there's probably a lot of people looking left, looking right, wondering what's going on with their football team because this shit's starting to look crazy. So back to the game. Um, I thought Ole Miss came out a little bit early. They showed, kind of presented what they were going to try to do offensively. Uh, coach Kiffin told me before the game, a lot more four receiver sets is what they wanted to try to do. Ole Miss without a tight end cannot be exactly who they want to be. And they don't really have that player on the roster right now. So they're having to utilize some different formations. One guy that I will point out is Mingo. And I think that when you look at this Ole Miss football team and different guys doing different things, Jonathan Mingo, number one on offense, is playing H. He's playing Y. He's playing X. He's going in motion. He's running split zone, coming across the line of scrimmage and blocking the defensive end, trying to wall that guy off. He's running routes deep down the field. He lined up at tailback at one point in this game. And I had a cool conversation with Jonathan Thornton, the offensive line coach, or Jake Thornton, before uh, the offensive line coach before the game. And he was saying, man, he's like, Mingo, such a cool kid, like the most unselfish player that we have. Said the young man just goes out there and wants to win. Said, yeah, the Vanderbilt game where he sets the school record just goes completely crazy. And then all of a sudden, the next week, he had the Auburn game where he didn't have a catch. And he's the first one in the locker room wanting to celebrate, getting excited with his guys, pumped up about just how well they played, the fact that they won the game, even though he didn't really go out and do anything. So it shows you what kind of kid he is. And I think, too, kind of shows you some of the buy-in just of this Ole Miss football team. Uh, Jackson Dart's a perfect example of that. Like He had to do more with his legs in this game against Texas A&M, and I think that was a part of the problem for A&M's defense is you had some guys getting out of their pass rush lanes. A couple of them were scrambled. A couple of them were design runs, and next thing you know, they're finding different ways to move the ball. But the drive, in my opinion, that changed the outlook of this game was when Ole Miss is backed up in A&M territory and you had three penalties convert third downs and Ole Miss able to move the football all the way down the field, get a score. And in my opinion, change the aspect of that game because A&M had battled back at that point. They had shown some confidence. They had shown some things offensively that were not working. 
and then just not able to get it back once Ole Miss went up two scores. So I thought physically, you know, Ole Miss played pretty good football because that was a bigger, batter team, at least defensively. Now, that Ole Miss offensive line, Nick Broker and those guys, they'll get after you. So physically, I don't really expect them to just be outmatched with many teams in the SEC. Uh, LSU was one team that has the bodies to be able to do that. A&M does, but I don't think that they, they've knocked them around that way at all. There were some one-on-one pass rush wins from the A&M defensive line, but when they get you going east and west, and they move the pocket, and they have the different run plays that they do and how they design them, they're going to get you off balance. They're going to get you out of your gaps. and They're going to force you to track plays down. And that's where I think a defense gets worn out. You think about the fact that Ole Miss hits all those runs on the perimeter, play after play, series after series. Well, defensive linemen still have to chase those down. And a lot of times they don't, but they're supposed to. That's going to wear guys down. And I saw that that front seven for me. For Texas A&M, they look gassed, especially the D-line. I mean, look how many were laying on the ground at different points in time in the third, fourth quarter of that game. I thought they were worn out. I thought they were tired. And you give Coach Weiss, Coach Kiffin credit for the design that they had offensively to be able to do that. I mean, they didn't hit – Jackson Dart didn't hit many different routes in this game. I think he only completed nine passes. Um, if I go check it and, you know, listen, some of these things, as, as we do this podcast, I'm not going to remember everything I can. All right, 13 to 20, three touchdowns, no picks. Dart ran for 95 on 17 carries. So, it, I mean, he hit the wheel route a couple of times. He hit a couple of balls up the seam. He hit some checks. Like, he didn't have to do a lot of different things in the pocket. Like, they made that a lot easier for him with how he operated and how he did it. But let's not get away from the story of this game. The story of this game is a young man from Pike Road High School, Pike Road, Alabama, coached by Patrick Browning, and his name is Quinshawn Judkins. Um, one of the best tailbacks in college football, the best freshman tailback in college football. And Jordan Rogers said it during the broadcast, and I'll back it up right now. I think he needs to be in the Heisman discussion because he's that good. He's that dynamic. He means that much. And I know they have Zach Evans, even though he's been banged up a little bit. I, I, I get it. I understand it. Uh, I know Ulysses Bentley is there and has helped out a little bit. But this dude is special. He's different. He glides. He's got power. I got two clips that I'm going to tweet out later today where he's in the hole one-on-one with the defender and it's just whoop and he's gone. And the defender's literally diving at air. But then he also has the power. And I thought the coolest part of what Judkins did in this game, you go look, I think it was late third quarter. He had a big run, like 60 yards. He stays in the game. The next play, they check it over. He comes from Jackson Dart's right side to his left side. They run outside zone down there towards the end zone, and he's coming up on the pylon right around the five-yard line, and 17 for AM comes up. There was never a thought in his brain about stepping out of bounds. It was Hayaka, and he goes for full contact right away after he just went for 60 yards. Like To me, that shows the kind of back that he is, and he is absolutely special. So Ole Miss gets to 8-1. Talked to Coach Kiffin after the game. I think most of you probably know how that went. Uh, Coach Kiffin wasn't happy with some things that took place before the game. Um, but as you know, Lane is Lane. And that's what he's going to give you. He's always a great interview. That's why I love talking to him. But I love talking to Jimbo before the game. Uh, I think there was you know, just a little bit of miscommunication with everything that went down. Um, as far as Friday in our meetings, Jimbo did jump on a Zoom with us and met with us, and he gave us great information. It was a great conversation. So I don't think that there was anything intentional to that. Um, and I don't think there was anything intentional from Tom Hart trying to throw Jimbo under the bus or try to do anything to discredit Jimbo. It's just he answered the question, and then things kind of went where they went from there. Great trip to College Station, though. We hit the Republic Friday night. If you're ever in College Station and you want an amazing steak, you got to go see the guys at the Republic, get the ahi tuna appetizer. 
Uh, we had some sort of peanut butter something dessert. It was also phenomenal. And the Brussels, they're not the best in, in the on the SEC tour, but they're pretty good. They're pretty good. They're pretty damn sporty. Um, went to Fuego for lunch on Friday. Amazing. I get the breakfast tacos with that Dr. Pepper sauce and then dunk it on there. Um, disappointed, though, that we didn't get to Jesse's on Saturday. We just kind of ran out of time. That's another great taco spot in College Station if you're there. But uh, got to catch up with Billy Lucci. Um, saw our guys from Blue Delta Jeans. They were in town. It was a really cool trip. It's always an amazing trip. That place is just special. I love going to College Station. I love going to games at Cowfield because it's just it's it's an amazing place. All right, so let's roll to a couple of some of the other games from over the weekend. By the way, I mean you look at, at Texas A&M right now. We're sitting at three and five. The, here's that's the bad news. Okay, the good news is winnable games on the schedule still coming up. Also losable games. I might add. You can get Florida, you can get Auburn, you can get UMass, LSU. You better play good football if you're going to get that one because that team's heading in the right direction. Um, now, you can drop some of those games at the same time. No doubt in my mind that you could easily drop some of those games. But the good news is all those freshmen that are playing like we talked about earlier, especially Connor Wigman. This kid is built different. Damian Craig told me before the game, like making different mic checks, moving protections. It's not None of it's too much for him. And here's the most impressive part. What you should come away with, with what Connor Wigman did in that game, Saturday night in College Station, is how he attacked the middle of the field. There are a lot of college quarterbacks that are terrified to throw the football over the middle of the field, or at least their coaches are terrified of letting them throw the ball over the middle field. This kid had no fear. And he moves better than you might think. He has a strong arm. He can change arm angles. He can do different things. He's athletic. So I think the future's bright at that position, especially when you consider what's around him. They just have to find leadership and more experience to be able to understand everything that's being put in front of them on a week-in, week-out basis. All right. Uh, world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Pretty sure I can still call it that. At least I'm going to on this show. 42-20. Georgia gets that win. Georgia gets to 8-0. Still number one in the AP poll that just came out a few minutes ago. Florida goes to 4-4. Four and four. This was really just, from what I saw in the film this morning, this was just being outmatched. Um, I thought Florida didn't do as good of a job. I would like to see Billy and those guys go out and try to establish the run a little bit more early on. I thought there was a little bit too much drop back early, but I also know that it looked like Richardson kind of banged up the ankle a little bit early on in that game. First time he went out of bounds, so I don't know how healthy he was. Was that change in quarterback run calls? There hasn't been enough quarterback run calls this entire year, and some of that has been because of the backup quarterback situation. I understand all that. Um, but then also, too, just kind of sloppy. Like you get an offensive lineman, miss a block. You get a receiver, drop a ball. And there were some yards left on the field. I mean, Anthony had some throws that he missed, and they just couldn't come up with them. Uh, but you give that Georgia defense credit, too. Uh, I thought there were a couple of guys up front that looked really good. Like 99 showed up and had a really nice game. Uh, great to get Jalen Carter back. He did some really nice things up front, like 33 on the edge. I thought did some good things for Georgia. So that defense is very precise with how they run their stunts. I like how Kirby still moves the front around. Like he's not going to let you get set and say, okay, they're in an eye defense or they're in bear or they're in an under defense. They're going to move it. They're going to line guys up in different places because they have the personnel to just play you straight up. Say, all right, here's our base defense. See what you can do against it. See if you can find success. Maybe you can't. There's one bust, obviously up the sideline. Anthony kind of half rolls, safety comes down, boom, out the shoot. It's a nice play design. Uh, you give him credit for that. But, you know, that Georgia defense tackled well against a pretty good group of skill guys. I mean, when you, if you really go back and look at players in space, I thought they got under the ground for the most part, didn't give up a ton of explosive plays, and that's why they go win that game. Brock Bowers, unbelievable. The tight end position, unbelievable for Georgia. Darnell Washington was great. I thought the offensive line was pretty physical. 
didn't play a great game together as far as all five working together, but I thought they really got after him. Um, I thought they brought the fight. And, you know, I thought Amari Bernie had a pretty good game for that Florida defense. He was active. 51 did not look like 51. I'm not sure what was wrong with Ventro Miller in that game, but, you know, he missed some stuff and missed a couple of reads and missed a couple of tackles. Just not sure if he's 100%. That, that, that didn't look like him at all. And I tell you what, Stetson kind of living on the edge a little bit because there are a couple of throws. He was fortunate to not have go the other way, but he also made some big throws. But that's just, I think that's just his confidence. I think that's where he is. He understands that. Even if he doesn't get away with something, he's got the players to be able to go out and and do some different things and be able to make some things happen. Um, But you hold that Florida team to 100 yards rushing total, that's a pretty good day. I thought Daywan Edwards looked pretty good as well. Uh, You know, Georgia's got a stable of backs. I don't know who's going to be number one, what the order's going to be moving forward, but they have nice options. They've got choices. And like I said, the tight end position was just ridiculous. Uh, So Georgia looked like the number one team in the nation. And now they got a massive test coming up next. Uh, The team that they'll get, Tennessee, also gets to A, no. They move up to number two. So we'll get a one versus, I guess, a two, either A or B, coming up with uh, Tennessee and Georgia as Tennessee tied for two in the AP poll. But, man, 44 to six over Kentucky and over a pretty good Kentucky football team. Like, yes, they've had some issues this year. They haven't always been great. But, you know, Kentucky had to do a couple of things. This is one of those games where, when you sort of look at the roadmap to victory, Kentucky didn't have a lot of alternate routes in this. There, there weren't a lot of detours that Kentucky was going to be able to take to find a way to win this football game. The offensive line needed to be great. I thought they were pretty good in the run game. They were not good in protection. Pretty good in the run game. Rodriguez ran hard. They got great help from the tight ends in the run game. Now, the problem was when you go down 27-6 at half, you lose a lot of your run game because you just can't keep calling it. So I thought that Scangrello was kind of forced to get away from what they wanted to do. Uh, Will Levis was under pressure, got hit a few times. I thought he did rush some things. I mean, there's a couple of throws that he let go a little bit early that I didn't think he had to. A couple where maybe he kind of panicked, off balance, incomplete. Um, but you give a lot of credit to that Tennessee defensive line. I mean, I thought Tennessee's front, t- like you can talk about Jalen Hyatt, five for 138 and two touchdowns again. Like, yeah, he's incredible. He's unbelievable. But in my opinion, what's really happening that's been overly impressive is what's going on up front for this Tennessee defensive line. Because I don't think anybody really expected this group to play the way that they have. Like 95 had a monster game against Kentucky, 21, 11. We knew that Byron Young and those guys on the edge were going to have a pretty good season. They're athletic, but the interior guys have been great for this Tennessee defense. And I like the way that they move that front around. They'll line up three to one side a lot. And they force you to kind of slide your protection. That's when they'll bring pressures from the other way, or they'll run a stone over here and bring them back and kind of get to what they want, either three down or four down. But they're they're confusing you by being simple. It's something Matt House at LSU does a really good job of. He presents things in a complicated way, but he's oftentimes getting back to something that's very simple for them that should be very simple to pick up and block. Um, I thought tight ends for Tennessee did a good job. I thought Tennessee's offensive line was okay, not great. But Darnell Wright was great. 58 was great again. I mean, some of the double team movement, some of the individual movement in short yardage situations down by the goal line. I mean, it looks like a double team with the tight end, but he doesn't really get the help. But he gets his hands inside. He gets the push down there for a Jabari Small touchdown run. And he is he's having an exceptional season. Like, he is having a massive year. And Darnell Wright, he's going to put himself in the discussion as the first tackle off the board. Like, that's how good of a year he's having. Um, I don't know if he'll go ahead of Skaronsky from Northwestern. 
but I think he's at least putting himself in that discussion, which is huge. And like you hear a lot of other people talking about what he's doing. I'm not the only one that notices this. He's having a monster season. Javante Spragans, that right side is fun to watch. Like they get after you, they attack you, which by the way, I got to share this. Um, so Damani Richardson, safety for A&M, he's East St. Louis kid. And he, we were talking about, I'm sorry, Antonio Johnson. We met with Antonio Johnson, East St. Louis kid. He played high school football with Javante Spragans, played the same school. And I was asking about it because he's fun to watch and this and that. He goes, oh, man, Javante, that's my boy. He goes, our coach used to make us line up 20 yards apart in practice and run into one another. Like, I'm, I'm not sure what you're trying to accomplish here. Like, Oklahoma drill is one thing. 20 yards apart, like a safety and an offensive lineman? I guess it got him ready for the SEC. I mean, okay. Uh, Kentucky goes to five and three. They're out of the AP top 25. Um, they've just run into a bit of a buzzsaw. They lost their quarterback, and that's when you go down to South Carolina. Like They've had some injury issues. The offensive line's not what it's been. they got to get that part back. But um, I think when you look down the stretch for the Wildcats, Missouri, Vandy, Georgia, Louisville, they got a chance to still rack up some wins and put together a pretty good football season. Uh, I know Coach Stoops, he knows how to rally the troops. He'll go find a way to get that done. Uh, Missouri, South Carolina, one of those teams that Kentucky is going to play here down the stretch. 23-10, Missouri gets the win. Uh, we talked about this on McElroy and Kubrick in the morning on WJOX in Birmingham. I kind of saw this one coming. Um, so much had been going South Carolina's way over the last few weeks. And here's the thing about Missouri. They're 4-4. Four and four. You don't have to like what they do. You don't have to like a lot about them. But every time you put them on, especially on defense, that defensive line gets after your ass. Every game. It doesn't matter. Now, they might be in the wrong gap. They might go the wrong direction, but they will attack you. And this is a, an offensive line that had played pretty good football the last few weeks, and South Carolina's offensive line did not play well. Um, defensively, I don't think they ran to the ball well enough. I think they got lost in the run game. Now, you give Drinkwitz a lot of credit because he really mixed it up well. You saw him hit the perimeter. They had the toss play going inside zone. They had the splitters coming across with that, a lot of motion, some quick throws. And then they put Brady Cook in and utilized some of his legs a little bit. And that really kept that South Carolina defense kind of kind of really off balance. And then Dominic Lovett, they force-fed him the football early, get him going. You know, he gets a couple quick touches. They find a few explosive plays. They get a couple of turnovers. And Missouri goes to the other Columbia and finds a way to get a win. I thought it was a nice game plan. Um, I thought the South Carolina receivers blocked well, played well, caught the ball well. Austin Stonger had a good game, but there was too much leakage up front. Spencer Rattler was under pressure. Marshawn Lloyd had guys in the backfield. He's having to make moves in the backfield. He's got contact in the backfield. And this South Carolina team, God bless them. I, I like watching them because they got a bunch of veterans and they play hard. They're just not loaded with a ton of talent. Like They have to be able to play their game. They have to have things go their way to go out and really be successful. So I think they they did not grab momentum early, something that they needed to do. And then you hear these comments from Spencer Rattler after the game. I don't know exactly what that was in reference to or what he's talking about as far as not knowing what to do. But I'll give Blake Baker some credit, Missouri's defensive coordinator. He did some cool things. Like he had he had one look with two defensive ends with their hands on the ground and then two two linebackers like standing up removed a little bit from the A gaps. So he did some different things defensively, a lot of movement. He attacked like Blake Baker's not going to hold back. And he went after that group. He made them uncomfortable. He forced them in completions and turnovers, and they go out and get a win. So now they're at 500, 
in Missouri kind of looking to become bowl eligible. You look ahead, big one with Kentucky for both of those teams, Tennessee, they'll get New Mexico state and then they got Arkansas. So a really good chance. Now you're talking about a team that was two and one, then lost three straight and they've won two straight and they got a chance to really continue to grow and build on some of the things that they've been doing and potentially go out and find a way to be bowl eligible. Finally, last SEC game over the weekend. And again, we're going to try to just knock these out real quick each and every week. All college football, right now, all SEC. I have no idea. This is the first one we've done. This is an idea that we've always had. We're not going to have guests. We're not going to talk about how popular we are, but we're just going to talk football. And I'm going to tell you what I got, what I saw from over the weekend, and we're going to go from there. Maybe we grow this thing down the road. I'm just sitting in my office um, trying to get this thing done and trying to figure out how to do it. My man John's helping me produce it, and we're just going to go from there. Um, Things not great on the planes right now. I don't, I don't really know another way to describe it. Um, you have a consistent cast of characters that comes out and plays hard. Um, you got a group of guys like Derek Brown, and John Samuel Shanker, and Donovan Kaufman, and Wesley Steiner that really, like, no matter what happens or how it happens, they're going to play their asses off. They're going to play physical football. They're going to play championship-level football, but they can't do it by themselves. And you have a team that is inexperienced in key spots quarterback mainly that is not able to go out there and just win games by themselves either. The first question that I would have is uh, 76 Jeremiah, right? Like why is he not playing offensive line? Um, I would never take him off the field because to me, he seems like the only one that's got a little something to him. Like he attacks and he might whiff, he might miss a guy, but he at least gets after you. And that offensive line needs some of that. And he brings it uh, on each and every series. Um, 11 carries for tank is not enough. And I understand this game kind of got away a little bit late, but more tank got to have more tank because I, it felt like early on in the run. I mean, Auburn still ran for 183 and I felt like early on in the run game, they were getting some edges. They were using some tight ends, some bonus bigs to be able to create angles and be able to find ways to run the football. You saw a little creativity where, you know, Shanker comes in, gets under center, takes a snap, pitches it to Ashford. Like, all right, we got some things going. And it just felt like it just ran into a wall in the third quarter. Um, and the defense, listen, the defense has not had any success with misdirection plays all year. The counter has been a consistent problem. Split zone, where you run zone this way and the tight end comes flat across, visually deceiving, that's been a problem all year. And this was an offense that presented a lot of those problems. Motions, quarterback reads, quarterback keeps. Um, you know, forcing a defensive end to crash down, he keeps it and goes. Quarterback leaving the pocket. Uh, and Arkansas did a good job with all those things. I thought K.J. Jefferson made good decisions. Uh, Browse and Pittman didn't ask him to put the ball in the air much. They probably knew they didn't have to. And they took care of their business. I usually say that with, you know, non-conference lettuce games that people come into and aren't going to have to play their best football to win. But Arkansas handled their business in this game. So where is Auburn right now? What is the mentality? What is the attitude? I'm... I don't know what to tell you. I do know some kids are still playing hard. You know, everybody went nuts about the whole, you know, transfer portal thing last week. If you guys probably saw, I'm 100% on board with what Coach Harson did. Uh, I'm not going to allow a kid to quit on his team and hang around so he can get a red shirt year when he's contributing to the team. It's not a real thing. It shouldn't be a real thing. I've talked to a lot of other coaches that handle it the exact same way, and their fan base isn't up in arms going nuts about it. So you've got to find some momentum down the stretch. Obviously, the AD thing is now making some noise. 
Um, I don't think anything happens to Coach Harson the regular season. That's my opinion based on what I've heard and people I've talked to, but it's not a report on my end. It's just speculation based on conversation. Um, but, man, it's it's becoming tough to watch in a lot of areas because uh, you do have some guys that are giving effort and you do have some guys that are doing some things the way that they're supposed to. But then there's a lot of it that's just uh, – you just – it is it is hard to watch. So. I um I give a lot of credit to Arkansas though. I thought Latavius Breeny had a nice game. He came down, played the run well. Rocket Sanders is just legit. I mean, he's a big time tailback. That offensive line, um, Cody Kennedy does a really good job with the Arkansas offensive line. They don't have a bunch of first and second round draft picks. They play together. They play with unity, continuity, chemistry. Like they understand the scheme. They know how to help each other. Nobody's bailing on somebody else leaving them hanging in an outside zone play where you get some run through right behind you. Like they're going to stay and get a hand on a guy and then they'll work their way up. They just, they handle their business extremely well. All right. So at the end of every show, we'll kind of take a quick peek ahead to what we got coming again. We'll morph this thing in a little bit of a different way, but I just wanted to try to start something that we can have on Sundays where we can talk about football and go through what's actually happened on the field, X's and O's actual ball and just get into it. Uh, We'll be in Starkville, my crew, uh, Jordan, Tom, and I next weekend. We've got Auburn at Mississippi State, ESPN 2 at 6.30. Tennessee, Georgia's 2.30 CBS game. Right now, looking at that game, you know, the popular question is, can Tennessee beat Georgia? I've moved on from that question. I've moved on. I, I, I don't question, can they? It's, you know, what has to go wrong so they don't? Or what is Georgia absolute? Like, what are the absolutes that have to happen in that game for either side to win? I think nine and a half is way too much in that game. That's just my opinion. Like this Tennessee offense, it's hard to bet against, man. It is hard to bet against. Like, and you you look at Brad White's plan for Kentucky. Okay, it it wasn't a bad plan. Like, and Kentucky actually tackled well. That's one of the things you have to do when you play Tennessee. You have to tackle well. And for the most part, now people are going to say Jalen Hyatt for a fifty yard touchdown. He was he blew past coverage. Like, go watch that game again and find how many yards Tennessee had after contact. Not after the catch, after contact. Because there was one where Hyatt kind of cut back inside. That one may have been about 20 yards after contact, but I think that was the most of any I saw. There weren't a lot of plays where Kentucky guys are just whiffing and you know going flying out of bounds and taking themselves out of the play. But you had one safety that bit down. And on a little crosser, what kind of a scissors concept, he comes inside, safety bites, hide out the gate, boom, hooker hits him, touchdown. I'm just telling you, this is this Tennessee offense, it's not throwing, it's not just throwing and catching. It's not. Like they Golish does a great job of formations into the boundary, moving people, finding different matchups, understanding how to utilize different things. Like when we saw offset eye formation last week, we saw scissors concept with the backs this week. They're doing different cool stuff each and every week, and then they go tempo, and then they got a quarterback playing out of his mind. So I'm past the point of, oh, can Tennessee make some miracle happen and find a way to beat Georgia? I don't look at that game this way anymore. I just don't. And I look at some of the high-risk throws that Stetson Bennett's making on a regular basis, even though not many of them have blown up on him. And I think this game might be a little more interesting than people believe. All right, Kentucky and Missouri, that's a big one from a bowl eligibility standpoint, especially for Missouri. Kentucky, they got to find some things that they're going to put together, a strong finish. Who in the hell thought we would get four and four Florida and three and five Texas A&M? Whoa. 11 a.m. ESPN, 
uh, Liberty and Arkansas's SEC network. Bam LSU is going to be massive. I think it's going to be huge. South Carolina Vandy's at night on the SEC network. I mentioned Auburn and State. Alabama LSU is going to be massive because I'm going to tell you a couple things. 92 and 99 up front for LSU are playing better ball than any of us anticipated, especially 92. And then you got 18 and 11 on the edge, and then 40 does everything. He plays off the ball linebacker. He lines up with zero nose and blitzes, not with his hand on the ground, but he'll come in the A-gaps. They'll put him on the edge to speed rush him. He does everything. And Matt House, see, a lot of you guys don't know Matt House because he's a Kentucky while back then he went to the NFL. Really good defensive coordinator. The Alabama offensive line did not look good the last time out. LSU has the personnel to be able to complicate that. Now, Alabama has Bryce Young, and Alabama has Jameer Gibbs. So that LSU defense better be on point. And they have Will Anderson, and they have Dallas Turner. Against freshman tackles, there's a lot of points of interest in this game from a matchup perspective that could allow it to go either direction. Not to mention a 6 o'clock kick in Death Valley with the Crimson Tide coming to town. Whoa, Nelly. All right, so that's Cube's show for this week. A radio show turned into a college football podcast. Uh, appreciate you guys tuning in. Like, rate, review, review, subscribe, whatever you're supposed to do with all that. We definitely appreciate it. Hopefully we can grow this thing, have some fun with it, maybe make it something fun and cool in the off season. But I've had this idea for a long time. I wanted to do it, wanted to kind of bring it to you, try to make something cool on Sundays that we can consume, that will be quick and will be as much ball as possible. And then also let you sort of hear what we did over the course of the weekend in whatever town we were in. We'll be in Starkville next weekend. So we'll be telling you about old Waverly and all that stuff. So that's it for this show. And uh, we'll be back next Sunday. Thanks for tuning in. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.